Welcome to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss best practices with IT modernization strategies in the federal government. With me on today's show are Lou Scherler, Deputy Chief Information Officer, Department of Labor. Michael Metrovich, Principal Deputy Chief Information Officer, Department of State. Devarius Peoples, Chief Information Officer, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Fred Ferreres, Director, Wireline Sales, Department of Defense at Verizon. Bridget Scanlon, Solutions Consulting Manager, ServiceNow. And Kelsey Nelson, Senior Solutions Manager at Okta. Well, we're talking about IT modernization and uh, let's face it, the world now knows what we've all known for many, many years is how critical it is to, to modernize and do it in a modern way. If you're gonna prepare for these types of situations that we've all been facing over the last six months, you have to have a modern environment that you can scale in, that's hardened, that you can adapt new features and capabilities. Lou, let's start with you. I know there's a lot of modernization going on over there at the Department of Labor. Tell us how that journey is going. Sure, and thank you for having the Department of Labor back this year. Uh, last year, Our we pleasure. talked about the diverse set of mission work across 27 agencies. I think we've gone a, a long way in modernizing our infrastructure uh, this past year. We've been focusing on IT commodities and, and legacy applications. Um, one of the first things we did is increase our cybersecurity posture, uh, did some modernization, retired legacy applications, uh, saved about $99 million. Another uh, thing that we did was launch the Common IT Platform. It standardized the way we collect and share data across the agencies. One of the things that Labor does is, is collect a lot of data. And it's important to us to be able to have the capability to share that data across all of our sub-agencies to ensure we're getting the, the, the best use of that data. Another thing we did was the Office of Foreign Labor Certification. Uh, that was a paper-based product and we digitized the issuance of those certificates to employers back in January of 2020. It eliminated a lot of the, the very expensive paper process, uh, saved us about $2 million. We did an additional 11 consolidations of data centers over the past year, along with a, a, a very aggressive UC or Unified Communications upgrades. That was across 115 DOL offices. It introduced wireless into a lot of the offices and saved about $119 million for the Department of Labor. That sounds very impressive. And I know you all were the recipient of uh, some of the TMF funding. Maybe we can talk about that on the next set of questions. Uh, sounds like you're really doing a lot of the blocking, tackling, laying the groundwork down, and have now sort of stacked some of that you know, new capability, sort of up the value chain, if you will, uh, and, uh, and just in time, Department of Labor, big part of this whole pandemic response. Mike, I can't imagine what it must be like to deal with every consulate, every embassy across the entire planet Earth and deal with what you've been dealing with over the last six months. It must be incredible. Uh, what's going on at Department of State these days? Give us a state of the state, no pun intended, of course. Sure, I, I appreciate the opportunity. So this Department of State uh, started on a, a modernization effort, uh, moving specifically to the cloud Office 365 about 18 months ago. And, and just as the COVID crisis hit, we actually transitioned one of our last posts over. 
So, you know, uh, we operate in 191 countries, 276 overseas posts. And so that, that in and of itself was no small endeavor, but it gave us huge flexibility when the remote telework options came into force, not only in the United States, but across the globe at all of our consulates and posts. So we were able to successfully make a pivot uh, through the use of people's personal devices or through mobile devices in their access to cloud resources, uh, email, uh, files, shares, stuff like that. So that, that, that was a huge effort. Uh, along the way, though, I, what, I, what I have to say was a linchpin in that, in that effort was moving uh, the entire organization over to multi-factor authentication. We were successfully able to enroll over 100,000 users in multi-factor authentication around the December timeframe. And so that gave us an extra level of security, especially when it came to remote access for cloud resources. So those, those were two huge endeavors right out of the gate. We also implemented uh, two different collaboration platforms enterprise-wide, so that gave us the ability to do collaborative meetings um, as the COVID crisis kicked in. Uh, that, was a, that was a big lift. Um, and we've also, as people have been coming back to the office, uh, and we've kind of had a bifurcated workforce, uh, we've begun the implementation of wireless within our facilities uh, to effectively give people the same type of, of flexibility and mobility that they had at home while they have in the office. And we've even recently started a hoteling pilot where people can now reserve cube space uh, in the office. Um, and that helps us from a densification perspective. So now we can understand how many people we actually have in the office. We don't, we don't overcrowd the office. People are able to adjust their shifts uh, for times when they come into the office according to you know, the, the requirements of the job and, and they can kind of bounce that off of any of the requirements they have at home. So, so all of those have been uh, incredibly positive for us as we move forward. And we've uh, just recently launched a reimagined task force agency-wide, which is kind of looking, you know, based on how we've moved to telework, what are the types of situations that we want to expand on? What are the, what are the lessons learned from that? And where, where do we see, uh, from an information technology perspective, the department two to three to five years down the road? So all in all, um, it's, been, uh, it's been a very aggressive move, um, a lot of moving parts, but uh, thus far, I think we've, uh, we've, we've weathered the storm. Really uh, put yourself in a position to execute on that. I think you're the first IT professional that I've heard that took uh, environments that were in the home and then fast forward them back into the office environment. That's, uh, that's pretty impressive. And I think the silver, silver lining is, is that we've all fast forwarded this technology and, uh, and uh, introduced it in, uh, in, in new ways to, uh, to enable the, uh, the mission, whatever your mission may be. Dovarius, how about at the U.S. Corps of Engineers? I think about... Uh, you know, critical infrastructure, dams, et cetera. And I think about the work that's going on in the Corps of Engineers. Tell us about what's happening over there and uh, your modernization journey. Yeah, so it's, um, first, thanks for the opportunity. It's been an interesting as well as exciting times at the Corps of Engineers. Um, I always like to say I'm proud to be your CIO from the Corps of Engineers because, as you know, we're spread out um, 55 districts, nine divisions inside of the United States as well as 123 countries. We have about close to 40,000 uh, users actively that use the system from inside of the core from a federal standpoint. So we are spread out very, very uh, disparately. Um, one of the things that we've done from a modernization perspective, we began to collaborate a lot more with the department, uh, being that the DOD as an army entity. So we've rolled out many capabilities such as the commercial uh, virtual remote environment, CVR, which is known to many. That is pretty much a Microsoft O365 team-based uh, communication collaboration tool that allows us to collaborate effectively across all departments, not just within the Department of the Army. 
So that has also enhanced how we collaborate and how we had the ability to be able to do mission. Um, it's about 4 million users that actually use that system DOD wide and the army has roughly between 600 to 1,000 users that, uh, that have uh, pretty much locked in. So we are definitely uh, moving forward on that journey. From inside of the core, one of the things we began to do for modernization is really look at how we use data as a strategic asset. Um, so we have started on our data strategy from a modernization journey, um, being able to receive data from authoritative sources, um, looking at those repositories, identifying how to properly secure it, and then being able to make informed decisions. And we've also begun to move forward with our data center consolidation or our Equinex modernization. Um, when we first started COVID-19, uh, we, were, we were going through the thick of things. For the first three days, it was very tough within the core. Uh, we started out with a, a data center fiber cut. I mean, that data center fiber cut spanned from, from Mississippi to New Orleans. However, in Mississippi, that's one of our major data centers. And with that being said, we lost all comms for about 12 hours. So we started off pretty rocky. Um, so we had to immediately identify how can we modernize and ensure that comms were stable. So we began to partner with some of our partners and, and looking at it from an Equinex or an as-a-service capability. Um, so we began to strategically place ourselves in, inside the United States to ensure that comms are always up and steady. So we've done a lot to be able to move the ball forward from a modernization perspective, and the journey is still going because ultimately the CG wants to be a true digital organization. Um, and in order to do that, we had to really enhance our infrastructure, which we've started that journey now. So in 2021, we'll be able to receive a lot of those benefits from a modernization perspective. Well, we certainly appreciate you being transparent. And it, it is amazing when you start modernizing in this modern way and using these tools and techniques, all of a sudden the resiliency, the redundancy, the scale, the security sort of just becomes incorporated into these solutions. And it's fantastic that you're delivering these type of uh, capabilities to the core. Uh, now let's go to Fred over at uh, Verizon. I would imagine you all are just right smack in the thick of it. We've had you on a couple of shows and it's just incredible the capability that you all are laying down in, in order to enable all these good things to happen. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity here. Um, as uh, Lou and Mike and the various have laid out their uh, priorities, their initiatives, uh, Verizon's role in all of this is obviously to, to support them in the IT and modernization journey. And then, you know, in response to what's going on with COVID. Um, we focus on uh, supporting all these uh, various initiatives, um, and, and we try to be a uh, technology partner of choice and, and, and spend time educating uh, the government on new technologies that are available and new methodologies to bring them to bear. Um, we try, especially under COVID-19, uh, our focus has been on improving the application performance and the network performance itself as uh, we have transitioned to this telework uh, environment over the last five, six months. It's put a tremendous strain on uh, on uh, the network and application performance. And uh, we have partnered with uh, many of our customers, many of the agencies here uh, to uh, to improve that network and the application performance so that uh, folks can continue to support their, uh, their critical missions from home. Uh, something that we've not done uh, in the past. And when you look to the future, I don't know that much of that's going to change. So we're going to go back to this uh, probably a hybrid model where we're going to need to continue to support from uh, our federal facilities as well as uh, continue to work uh, from anywhere that uh, our, our government workers uh, may be located. Yeah, I would say that uh, of all the, uh, the parts of the ecosystem, you know, the, the telecommunications piece is one area that is just getting leaned on significantly. I think you all have done a brilliant job of, of uh, stepping up to the, uh, to the challenge. 
Bridget, how about at ServiceNow? What a fantastic technology and what a fantastic time to have that technology available so that uh, you know, these departments and agencies and, and quite frankly, all across the private sector can deliver on the promise of enabling their operations, their mission, uh, sort of name your, uh, your environment, name your sector. Uh, what is happening at ServiceNow these days? Yeah, thanks, Luke. Um, so yeah, I've been with ServiceNow uh, probably about six, six and a half years now. And, and through that, you know, over time, I've been working with a number of agencies who are going through a modernization effort. Um, you know, obviously in today's times, we are focused on, you know, trying to expedite some of those efforts, right? And taking on new ones to help folks offer up more you know, digital services or support the staff that are now working from home and may have unique needs around their IT assets, right? Um, and security of those, of those assets. But um, I'll share with you actually just a, a specific modernization story. Um, and this is for a large uh, federal law enforcement agency. You know, these are typical challenges that I see. So the challenges they were experiencing was, um, you know, just given the nature of their operations, even a brief outage would have a major impact on U.S. economy, on national security. So with that mission of you know, critical systems and processes that, that have to run that 24-7 operation, they couldn't rapidly respond enough to support the agents and the officers that were out in the field. Um, in addition, you know, the Office of IT was requiring a lot of manual intervention. So there was lack of visibility into the requests of the officers and agents. As a result, even a very simple process of things like ordering a cloud instance, um, ordering a device could take up to 45 days. So the agency uh, really lacked that sort of true digital experience. Um, and again, you know, that's what we see a demand for today, right? An absolute uh, need for today. Um, so a couple of key outcomes they were looking for and, and have started to achieve, but hope to make more progress on was just better self-service capabilities. So a streamlined intake, allowing folks to go and make their own requests, right? Through a system that didn't require that manual intervention and to provide a platform to respond to those requests. So a way to work the requests within the agency um, that allow for support for some automation and better visibility and really just efficiencies in the process. Um, that allows them to better predict when um, systems will have excess pressure on them, right? So, um, or, or perhaps security risks on them. Um, and it also, uh, it, one of their other goals is to consolidate management of the projects in, in those project tasks that are happening. And so allowing uh, folks within different departments to be better able to uh, work together and to have the same visibility and access to things. And again, you know, in current environment of everyone or, or a large majority of folks working from home, it's absolutely a critical uh, requirement there. Right, be able to do it real time. And as soon as you start to digitize these environments, right, and, and create this workflow, all of a sudden you've got a much more secure environment. You've got, uh, you can audit the capability, you can do predictive maintenance, all kinds of capability that you can do as you link that stuff together. I'm sure we'll hear more about this uh, very powerful platform that uh, is available to all the departments and agencies. Kelsey, let's talk about Okta and a very critical piece of the ecosystem 
as we look at a uh, sort of a modern environment, a multi-cloud environment, a digital environment. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And thanks, thanks, Luke, for having us today. Um, you know, a lot of the themes that we've heard today around consolidation, around security, are absolutely what we've been seeing across the federal sector. Uh, you know, certainly those, those themes have been accelerated quite a bit over the past six months. Um, and I think what's interesting from where, where we sit within the identity space is we have uh, sort of a unique perspective between all of those different resources and all of the people, which you know, I think Tavarius mentioned before, you know, we're, we're here to support all of our users and make them as productive and as, as, as secure as possible as they accomplish their missions. And so what we've been seeing from an IT modernization in, in enabling that is certainly around consolidation from all of these disparate, those disparate identity stores. Also being able to adopt and shift a lot of those resources into the cloud, but while maintaining, we know that not, all, not every resource is going to be a, a cloud, at least in the near future. Um, and then on top of that, making sure that we're enabling that security, right? And so how can we balance uh, allowing and enabling our users regardless of where they are? I know, you know everyone has mentioned here that, that need to, to really shift rapidly when the pandemic hit a few months ago, but how can we protect them regardless of where they're doing their work? Uh, and so I think a lot of those trends that we'd seen that started, that had started certainly before the pandemic, but were, were really accelerated over the last few months is uh, a lot of our partnership today. So critical to, uh, to harden those uh, multifaceted environments, if you will, uh, as we're in this sort of uh, new normal, as everyone likes to call it, and uh, identity being a big part of that. We all know that uh, it's one of the one, number one vector areas where, uh, you know, an identity gets hijacked and, you know, sort of we know the rest of that story. So um, <clears throat> very important technology to make sure that we're modernizing properly. All right, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We're committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future, we build it. VerizonEnterprise.com slash federal IT. For many government agencies, the question isn't whether to move to the cloud. It's about which services can deploy more efficiently and securely via the cloud to provide the agency with additional capabilities to better serve citizens and employees, often with less internal cost and resources. At ServiceNow, we pledge to improve efficiency and engagement with a single cloud platform. ServiceNow, we make the world of work work better for people. Okta, helping protect your agency's remote workforce and ensuring government employees, contractors, and partners have simple and secure access to mission-critical applications from any device at any time. Okta allows you to create granular access policies based on user, device, network, and location context, as well as implement strong multi-factor authentication across all apps and VPNs. Learn more at okta.com government. 
Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about IT modernization and we're just getting ready to start talking about specific programs. And Mike, I'm gonna throw it over to you at Department of State. You top line a lot of activity that's going on over there. Uh, maybe you can give us an example of a specific program that you all are working on or have already completed that uh, is really sort of uh, you know, enabling the, uh, the mission of the State Department. Sure. Uh, it's tough sometimes to just pick out one, but uh, but I'll, I'll I'll make a mention. I'll make a mention that you know we we were big users, are big users of ServiceNow, and pressed that platform into into use uh, as the COVID crisis hit. And one of the the major benefits that people saw is, as we were moving through this crisis, um, you know, let, let's let's remember that we repatriated a hundred thousand Americans through eleven hundred overseas flights um, while this crisis was continuing. And in, in the process of doing that, we had a, an immediate need for multiple different dashboards and systems to track where those flights were going, where the users were coming from, whether those people were infected with COVID-19, whether they needed medical care, where their families were. There was an insatiable need for dashboards and, and insights uh, to make all that happen. And I think before, as you're probably well aware, that would have been getting together with an application development team and writing up a requirements document. And maybe six or nine or a year later, nine months or a year later, you might actually have the first iteration of some type of system to do that. But with these platforms as a service, our teams were able to rapidly innovate and iterate on that. And so within the matter of five to seven days, we would continuously be able to push out new dashboards and new applications to help track the flow, uh, not only of U.S. citizens that were coming back to the country, but um, from a from a process perspective, the need to distribute funds, to distribute air, to, to requisition aircraft, uh, to provide medical care, so on and so forth. And so that in and of itself was a was a highlight to the organization that the ways of doing application development in the past. Um, have I think long since now been superseded through to the utilization of these platforms as a service capabilities. And so one of the major efforts underway is now moving more and more application development into those platform services so that we can iterate uh, on application development in much more timely fashion. So that's that's one and that and that's something that users will natively see because the way that they interface with applications and data will change dramatically. And then I just have to highlight on the back end, things that the users won't see, uh, you know, network network uh, admission control and identity management, getting 100% fidelity on the devices and the identities of the users coming on to the network. And that is, uh, if it was important before in fixed facilities, it's even more important now when you have this hybrid mode of people working from home with mobile devices and they're trying to access corporate data and being able to make real-time adjudications as to the efficacy of the device and the individual requesting the data. So that's an ongoing project and that'll become uh, ever more important as we continue to move forward in this hybrid operating environment. That identity management really key and absolutely this low code, no code play that's on it. And there's always gonna be purpose built systems, right? That, that's just a fact. But boy, when, 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 you can, when you can bolt this stuff on in sort of a Lego block manner, and then you have that underlying database capability stitching it all together as sort of a seamless experience, uh, and do it very, very rapidly. I mean, that's a slam dunk. I'm glad to see that you all are utilizing that technology. Well, that's a good tee up uh, for you, Bridget. Uh, why don't you give us another example, a uh, specific example of, uh, uh, you know, maybe another department and agency that uh, is using this capability to, uh, you know, so to enable their mission, of course. Yeah, thanks, Luke. And uh, yeah, Mike, appreciate uh, 
uh, hearing the success of that story um, and uh, in your modernization efforts. So uh, yeah, one I'll share here would be around uh, the Space Telescope Science Institute. Um, they come to mind for me on, on successful completed modernization projects. Uh, so that the Institute's actually operated by NASA uh, and one of their main uh, goals or, or mission is to manage the Hubble Space Telescope's observations and then scheduling and support around that. So a few years ago, um, they were managing all this in a fairly manual way with little traceability and, and accountability as a result of to that process. Um, and as they were planning expansion of their mission and adoption of the James Webb Space Telescope, they saw a need for opportunity to modernize and improve those services to their uh, astronomer customers. So their approach was to first establish those objectives. So key one being, how do they get data to people more quickly and provide the best possible experience to their customers in the fastest resolution for some of the requests and the questions and issues that were coming in. And then they developed a wish list, right? The ideal scenario for them, you know, what do they want to achieve? And they revisited some of those workflows and process and identified what they needed to change. Um, in addition, as a part of the project, they chose a cloud platform. They wanted one that enabled their organization to modernize and to meet their needs. So that system could deliver benefits for internal teams, but also for those external customers, right? Um, and support linkages for those who are working across multiple missions and multiple teams. Um, you know, end result was um, increased visibility into all the activity that was happening and the level of support that they were providing uh, both internally and also externally to their customers. Um, so, you know, with that information um, in the context, then the team was able to direct issues in the right level of support and so gain efficiencies as well around that. Fantastic use case there. And uh, NASA being uh, obviously a very sophisticated agency and does have a lot of external partners that they're dealing with over there, right? It's uh, uh, as you can imagine, so uh, bringing in a, a technology that sort of glues all that together is uh, is certainly uh, a good news story. Lou, how about at Department of Labor? You talked about a lot of different things over there that are going on. Give us a specific example of one of those programs that you'd like to highlight. Right. Thanks, Luke. Um, like the others, there's so many that are um, going on at, at DOL, it's hard to pick one, but since you asked about the Technology Modernization Fund earlier, I'll go to our Foreign Labor Application Gateway. Uh, it, I spoke of it a little bit earlier. It, it's a way for us to offer uh, digitized temporary visa certifications and eliminate a paper-based process. Uh, that went live in January of 2020. And we've continued to build on that. We, we stood up a data hub infrastructure that went live in, in July. It uses IT platform data analytics capability for cross-agency communications and near real-time data sharing. Um, we utilize the, the Technology Modernization Fund to, to do this. Uh, Flag's data hub makes H2A agricultural worker case data available to the USDA Department of State and DHS. There's a built-in API for data hub capability so that we can share that information and resources across the government. 
It streamlines the hiring and application process with near real-time status updates. So it's a robust platform that shares large amounts of data with external users, the employers, the foreign workers, uh, other government agencies. USDA's farmers.gov portal integrated with this system um, using the data hub. And now farmers can access near real-time status and updates of applications that, that they're interested in. Um, this shared access is possible because Flag uses login.gov. It provides security, ability to log in from different portals from one access point and gives the, the end users a multitude of ways to check on the status of these applications. Well, that certainly warms my heart because, uh, you know, the, the dream of sort of stitching all this together on the back end seamlessly and providing that, 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 uh, that great, you know, customer experience to whatever the customer would be, whether it be a farmer, a small business owner, et cetera, is fantastic. And the fact that you all have been able to modernize and lay a platform down to stack these other capabilities on it is just fantastic. What, what a great news story. Kelsey, how about at Okta? Give us an example. I know you all are, are striped across a whole bunch of departments and agencies all over the private sector. Give us an example of a program you'd like to highlight uh, that sort of shows the power of this capability that you all have. Yeah, and I think something Mike mentioned that stuck out was really the importance of, of understanding that identity and making sure that we are, are seeing a high assurance of who that person is, who they say they, that person is who they say they are before they, they authenticate. Uh, and I think we're working for, as one example with the Air Force, they're shifting their entire A1, their human resources branch, they're shifting into the cloud, which looks, it, it's a, as you can imagine, a massive undertaking. There are hundreds of applications. There are also millions of users, both active duty and also uh, non-active personnel, which means that we need to not only be a part of consolidation, uh, bringing all of those users together to access those applications, but also how can we start to bring in different authentication methods for access for those different user types. So certainly things like if you know an active duty member has a CAC, we want to make sure that they're able to authenticate with that, but maybe even limiting access in certain locations depending on on what we know about their context. So that, that's been really important, but also delivering alternatives. So for folks who are not active duty members, or I'm sure everyone here has, uh, has folks who may not have a PIV reader at home. So how do I actually authenticate and, and get access to important information if, I'm, uh, if I don't have that resource? And so what we're really seeing with, with this shift for A1 is really centralizing, but also being able to apply some of those those risk, those risk methods and understanding context so that they can really enable, and I'll throw out the zero trust buzzword here, but really enable that for, the, for that long term and, and be able to, as a result, manage, be able to audit and be able to protect all of those different users as they're accessing those, those uh, HR resources for each one. Have to know who's on our network and have to know what they're authorized to do, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Very critical. I'm glad to see that. Uh, you're creating some uh, variables too, recognizing that the world isn't perfect and uh, fast forward in a lot of this new type of capability to make sure that we stay hard. And I'll say it one more time, you know, uh, hijacking identity, probably one of the number one vectors that uh, certainly has uh, tipped us over a time or two. Dovarius, how about at the uh, U.S. Army Corps? A lot of good activity going on over there. Tell us about one specific program you'd like to highlight. And so again, at the core data, using data as a strategic asset 
everything we do is centered around data. And as you know, data has many different components. Um, one of those components that we're looking at is cloud, the cloud modernization. Um, how do you access the data in a secured environment? A good example, we've been working with, uh, with Netcom as well as the rest of, of US Cybercom as well to ensure that we can properly secure those type of environments as well as the access to specific data. Uh, O365, there's a OWA capability. Um, there's also Microsoft Teams and many others. One of the things we're working to do is to enable access without having to go through a VPN, being that of utilizing GFE as well as non-GFE. Uh, so with that being said, there are certain mechanisms that you have to put in place as well as there are certain security protocols that needs to be enabled in order for you to be able to access that data. And that's just one instance of being able to ensure that we can move forward to a mobility enforced type of workforce. Um, and the next part around our data strategy is, the, is an EVV. We call it EVV, which is our enterprise virtual viewer uh, capability. What that capability does is it brings the entire ecosystem together. Being able to access data, view that data from uh, authoritative sources, uh, repositories, and be able to make informed decisions because ultimately, one of the things we've been in the core is so siloed as it becomes to systems and data. So looking at it from a different lens, not so much the systems lens, but the data lens. How can I access that repository and be able to make not just informed decisions, but utilizing it as an asset to enable sharing and mission collaboration amongst the department, as well as on the civil side, as well as the federal side, because the Army Corps of Engineers is a DOD entity, as well as a federal entity with the uniqueness of the missions being out of civil works, uh, levees, locks, and dams, then you have the mill construction aspects of it, where we build hospitals and those type of things on camp posts and stations. And then you have the, the COVID-19 example, which is a disaster relief mission, as well as the floods that we fight within the Corps of Engineers. Interesting uh, model there. I think a lot of people, I mean, if you think about it, it certainly makes sense where you straddle from, you know, the DOD environment dot mill into the, the dot com dot gov environment, if you will, you're, you're really uh, across those, those three sectors. And uh, the fact that you're able to, to leverage these modern platforms and, uh, and then focus down into uh, what you described there as people, you know, the metaphor, you know, data is the new oil type thing super important in a very complex environment. Great example there. Uh, Fred, how about over at Verizon? You know, you all are, again, right in the, uh, the fabric of what's going on, not only in this pandemic journey, but the modernization journey uh, altogether, right? I mean, every cloud play, uh, every uh, uh, new type of implementation really leans on this uh, substructure, this infrastructure. Give us an example of a specific one you'd like to highlight. Well, thanks. Appreciate that. Well, before I uh, give you an example, I just want to thank Devarius for the opportunity to be part of uh, his vision and, and meeting his challenges at the Corps of Engineers. Um, but I'll bring uh, one that's uh, relevant and in flight for us today. Um, so uh, I'm a retired Marine, um, spent 24 years in the Marine Corps. Um, and thank one of the things service. that we struggle with, absolutely, thank you. Uh, one of the things that we struggled with in my time and we continue to struggle with today is warfighters performing non-war fighting type missions and activities at base, post, camp, and station. And you look at uh, the Army and the Air Force are both down uh, an uh, enterprise IT as a service journey. Um, and focusing on the Army particularly, uh, they've broken it up and they have uh, three lines of effort. There's a uh, network as a service, uh, end user, uh, services and then compute and stores kind of how they've broken it up um, and they've put that opportunity out 
um, for industry to respond and help them out on uh, a non-traditional acquisition path. They put it out through an OTA. Uh, so Verizon has the opportunity to support the Army on that OTA. And what's made it really um, rewarding, both as a provider and as a partner, is uh, through the OTA process, uh, we've had just a, an incredible dialogue with the Army about understanding their, their vision, understanding where they want to go. Through a series of technical exchange meetings, we have refined the requirements, and we're rolling out a solution to, to the Army that uh, we truly believe is is developed jointly that will meet their needs it's not just industry providing a solution and our customers consuming that solution hoping that we uh we hit the target hit the mark we are truly developing this together uh in partnership with each other that's fantastic a great example and i love the idea of not only modernizing in a modern way but we're acquiring the goods and services in a modern way using this uh, very powerful capability which is the ota as you mentioned well, we're going to roll it over to priorities, and we're going to stick with the number one priority. Uh, Lou, I'm going to start with you. Give us your, your what, what, what's in the top uh, of the job jar for you there at Department of Labor in regards to priority? I think, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of priorities for the upcoming year. Sure. Uh, one is to continue what we're doing with, with uh, the, the efforts we've already made this year. Uh, Data is going to be central to all that we do. Um, like Fred said, um, like Fred, I'm, I'm a former uh, military. I, I came from the Navy. And, and, and we thank you for your service. <laughs> Thanks. But I, I can remember, you know, being on an aircraft carrier and the computers were as large as refrigerators. And now you have people walking around with uh, more, more processing power on their, their wrist. So one of the things we're trying to do is, is make sure that our data is accessible and it's able to be shared. Uh, we've had a large presence in the cloud. We're continuing to do that. Uh, we're, we're standing up a hyper-converged data center so that we have a, a seamless fabric across our cloud and on-prem instances. Uh, we, we continue to look at that data. The other thing is how we use that data uh, in um, February of 2020, we announced a, a partnership with the GSA's Center of Excellence, mm. where we started to use RPA. So we presently ha have rolled out three bots that we're using, uh, trying to, to do a lot of the, the redundant, um, repetitive work and, and focusing our staff on, on the higher um, goals and, and missions of the agency and, and using that data to further our, our uh, mission across the board. Really important to, uh, to bring those capabilities together and a great example of uh, what's going on over there at Department of Labor. I'm really pleased to hear that you're using the Center of Excellence as well. All right, we're going to take another short break. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. For many government agencies, the question isn't whether to move to the cloud. It's about which services can deploy more efficiently and securely via the cloud to provide the agency with additional capabilities to better serve citizens and employees, often with less internal cost and resources. At ServiceNow, we pledge to improve efficiency and engagement with a single cloud platform. ServiceNow, we make the world of work 
work better for people. Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We're committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future, we build it. VerizonEnterprise.com slash federal IT. Okta, helping protect your agency's remote workforce and ensuring government employees, contractors, and partners have simple and secure access to mission-critical applications from any device at any time. Okta allows you to create granular access policies based on user, device, network, and location context, as well as implement strong multi-factor authentication across all apps and VPNs. Learn more at okta.com government. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about IT modernization. We're actually talking about priorities. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it over to you, Kelsey, uh, over there at Okta. I'm sure you get a lot of different priorities, a lot of different demands, a lot of different requests across departments and agencies. Uh, give us sort of the one that's, that's rising to the top for you all. Absolutely. Um, well, I know we've, we've talked about security that is absolutely a top priority, but I think the other, the other side to that coin is having flexibility and interoperability, right? A lot of what we've heard from panelists today is the need to collaborate. And I think that, again, these last few months have showed that need to collaborate across within agencies, with the private sector. How can we actually um, deliver services that are going to enable all of our, all of our workers to achieve the mission? And so... Um, what we're hearing and what we're seeing from a number of agencies is, yes, we absolutely need to protect those users, but we want the flexibility to be able to uh, use whatever service is relevant for the moment and for, for our teams. And so we've, we've certainly heard a lot of different cloud services that are being adopted today. Um, but that, that importance of being able to connect across any, any service, being able to use allow our users to use anything, um, has been really, really important and give agencies the choice uh, to say what, what works best for us to achieve that mission. Sure. Uh, look, the world is complex. It's, uh, it's a multifaceted. There's a lot of choices. And uh, in order to uh, enable an agency or department, uh, you have to use a lot of those different types of capabilities. Speaking of which, Michael, um, you talked about a lot of very uh, complex, uh, sophisticated, uh, complicated projects you've got going on over there. Give us sort of what's, what's your number one uh, when, when you all uh, are sort of looking at uh, the next uh, six months, um, what's at the top of the list? Yeah, I think uh, Luke is even going to get more complicated. So look, I, I, if we had to say that there was one overarching uh, priority uh, for the department from an IT perspective, I'd have to say it's a commitment to enabling a mobile workforce. And uh, Kelsey touched on that. That's users using multiple different platforms to access not only department-wide data, but to engage in collaborations with other entities. As an example, you know, uh, before we would have said we have a collaboration platform, it's WebEx or it's Teams, and everybody in the department must use that. And if you get an invite for some other meeting, well, you got to figure out how to participate in that. And so if, for today, we're, we're using a different collaboration platform. Um, our users get requests to participate uh, all the time in collaboration sessions. And, and since now everything is virtual, 
how do we give people the flexibility to actively participate in those collaboration sessions uh, to ensure that they are safe and that the department is safe, but still giving them that flexibility? That's just one example. I think Kelsey also mentioned, you know, before we would have pushed out PIV or CAC readers to everybody so that they could access data from home. Uh, but we had a lot of forward-leaning people and said, look, you know, you, you can access all of your financial institutions through multi-factor authentication enabled via a mobile device. And, and we can count on the fact that people have primarily a mobile device. And so how do we leverage that mobile platform for using that for, for the basis of authentication, uh, enabling that for one-time passwords, doing push notifications for people uh, to ensure that they're safe uh, for, for reporting uh, for, for reporting information. So uh, all of that, all, of, all, all I'm trying to get at is we've, we've, got a, we've, we've now seen uh, new ways of doing business uh, through, this, through this mobile and remote uh, work environment. And we, we, we just got to continuously iterate on that and leverage that in order to make the department more effective in the delivery of diplomacy. And, and if I had to put one overarching umbrella over it, that's, that's the commitment from the IT organization for the department going forward. Yes, uh, mobile and mobile and uh, a and uh, a grand experience, if you will. And you're talking about uh, forward leaning and certainly forward deployed at the Department of State and mobile. Certainly seems like it'd be very key. Fred, how about over at Verizon? Uh, number one sort of issue that you as you're receiving all these demands, what's at the top of the list for Verizon these days? Well, since we're talking mobile, uh, let's talk about everything that's going on uh, with 5G these days. Uh, lots of uh, uh, different approaches to achieving uh, 5G objectives and, and increasing capacity, uh, providing lower latency experiences. Um, and then uh, just the federal government in general's uh, uh, desire to know more about how to execute in that space. Uh, you've got uh, the Department of Defense going down the road with the National Spectrum Consortium uh, looking at ways to experiment with 5G uh, in multiple different locations, multiple different use cases from uh, smart warehouses to uh, um, sharing the spectrum, uh, et cetera. There's, there's several different use cases out there. Um, and uh, for Verizon, we're rolling out uh, our 5G network you know, domestically here, and you know, there's plenty of news coverage about that and marketing kind of stuff. But we've also done some interesting things like partnering with uh, AWS for a mobile edge compute um, capability where we're moving the data and the processing done by those applications and services to the edge. So you're reducing the uh, the latency, the time it takes to uh, to achieve that optimal experience. So it really supports the uh, the ultra ultra low latency applications. Uh, and the use cases for those are, are, you know, they cross the government space. You have things like telemedicine, intelligent logistics, predictive maintenance, and on the predictive maintenance side, not necessarily related to 5G and, and mobile edge compute, but, you know, we're using AI and ML to support uh, our managed service environment where we uh, accelerate the automation and anticipate failures in uh, our network and our customers' networks. Absolutely. And uh, demands for that type of capability are... Uh wide and far to various number one issue for you as far as priorities at the uh, at the core yeah so one of the things that the uh, that the sec army has challenged us within the army as a whole um, he continues to use the slogan people first winning matters um, and, and keeping in context with that slogan one of the things we're looking at heavy now is how do we ensure that our employees are enabled to be successful or to meet the intent of a 2028 workforce. Um, so with that being said, we are heavily putting a lot of focus, whether that's funding, 
um, resources and time into training our professionals. Um, we talk a lot about many different capabilities, whether it's AI, whether it's machine learning, whether it's zero trust. Um, none of those capabilities can be enabled without having subject matter experts that really understand what the capability does and how to properly implement as well as sustain those capabilities. Um, because one of the things we often find ourselves inside of the government is doing is we bring a lot of new technology in, but we don't know how to sustain it going forward. So that's what we're working to do now is to really put more into our workforce to train them up. So we are looking at, uh, we're working hard with Big Army, um, that's at the headquarters CIO level, with, uh, with a program called Quantum Leap. So Quantum Leap is more so of a skills-based program that will allow us to get after the skills versus more so from a legacy concept of certifications. Yes, certifications are needed. However, certifications can also be a snapshot in time. So we're now looking at how can we ensure that the skill sets of those individuals are properly enabled and properly exploited so that when we move towards a lot of these new concepts as well as employ them, our individuals inside of the federal workforce will know how to properly implement them, execute them, maintain them, as well as modernize them when that time comes. That's outstanding. Just like you have to you know, keep your, uh, your infrastructure current, you gotta keep your workforce current. Great uh, story on uh, reskilling the workforce and keep, keeping them skilled. All right, well, we only have a few short moments left, so we're gonna ask each of our, uh, our panel members to give us a sort of a, a state of the state. What's the future look like? Try to keep it nice and tight here and uh, uh, give us a, a, a sort of a vision of uh, around the corner over the horizon. What's in the Petri dish over there at Okta? Kelsey, we're gonna start with you. Yeah, I think you know, we've talked a lot about things like collaboration and things like security and flexibility. And I think what we're seeing in the future is this, if we set this foundation right and we do this, this modernization now, what new doors does that open? How can we deliver better citizen-facing experiences? How can we enable, you know, Deveris again talked about people first. How can we help everyone do, be more effective in achieving the mission? But also, you know, everyone here on this call has such an impact on our community and our society today. Can we deliver, rethink ways of delivering citizen-facing services as well? Um, and I think really setting that foundation with the modernization that we're discussing today is, is going to set us up for that, that long-term success. Outstanding. Keeping that citizen in mind, that certainly warms my heart. Bridget, how about its service now? What's it look like over the next uh, couple of years? Yeah, completely concur with Kelsey, right? I think the focus will be on citizen experience and thinking about, you know, the experiences with government, it'll be more consumer-like. So there's no more tolerance really from, from citizens around antiquated experiences. Um, secondly, you know, those experiences, I, I believe, will be customized and tailored as a result of agencies' investments in AI. We're driving towards that 21st century government. We're driving towards a digital strategy and serving customers the way, the way that they want to be served. So being able to take data and dynamically serve up a better experience through AI is going to be critical in the future. Uh, it's all about uh, delivering on the promise to the farmer, to the small business owner, to the, uh, uh, the servicemen and women, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I'm glad to see that uh, the foundation is being laid down and we're all really keeping our focus on that. Fred, you talked about 5G. Uh, what's that gonna look like in a couple of years? Is 5G just gonna be sort of you know, like air and it's just gonna be there completely uh, full, full, full uh, footprint out there across the country? 
Well, I think uh, 5G is going to be a little bit different. The experience for folks who are in the really dense uh, areas will experience a more rich experience. And the folks who are out in the urban areas, uh, it'll be better than it is today, but not the, the, the ultra-rich, uh, ultra-low-latent experience that you're going to get in cities. Um, I did want to say that uh, the, the Social Security Administration talks about preparing for the citizen of the future. Um, and we're helping them uh, with something called the uh, Next Generation Telephony Platform. But I don't think it's just about telephony. Uh, but I do think that you need a very rich and robust network. But that rich and ro robust network, in my future vision, is about any user, any device, any location, having access to the services and uh, the, uh, the tools that they need to do their job. And it's going to come with a myriad of newer technologies from um, zero trust and software-defined perimeters. Uh, ultimately, quantum computing is going to play a role in all of that. Uh, but it, in the end, it's going to improve the citizen experience. It's going to improve the federal government's ability to operate and do their mission. And on the DOD side, it's going to make warfighters more lethal and more efficient. Um, for me, that's the, the end state. And uh, that, that's an, uh, an outstanding uh, sort of story there. And you're, you're laying down this capability uh, uh, that's going to enable all these modern platforms to really realize their full capability in this new sort of, I'll call it 5G world. But it, it's really about low latency, sort of real time type capability, which is what, uh, which is what uh, every customer demands, right? Every customer expects that at this point. And they deserve to have that, quite frankly. The various. How about at the U.S. Uh, Army Corps? Uh, what's it look like over the next couple of years? Do you sort of consolidate your data centers, get all that capability together that you've been describing? You know, well, what sort of uh, what does that experience look like for uh, those that are in the uh, the core ecosystem? Yeah, so we've been, we're trying to operate in what we call the new now, um, because we call it the new now because things will always change. There's nothing consistent anymore with, with how we operate. So when we look at the core and as we build our, our budgets to reflect the same over the course of the next two years, um, from an IT perspective, it may not be from a policy and program perspective, but from an IT aspect, going into the office should be a choice versus a necessary requirement. And, and what we mean by that is that we will have the proper IT capabilities and resources to enable our users to operate in any fashion that they choose to. Um, so that's from a remote standpoint, where, wherever they may be, whether they're in Montana, whether they're in Afghanistan, wherever in the country they are, going into the office will be your choice, um, but it won't necessarily be a mandatory requirement because you will have the ability to operate wherever you are, and, and, our, and we're building our budgets to ensure we can acquire the right capabilities and ensure that we have the right agility in how we enable our services for our end users. I think that's fantastic. I love the, uh, the notion of it'll, it'll be a choice, and the choice will be theirs, and they know that if they stay remote, uh, that full capability will be available to them uh, so that they don't have to go to the office because the only place they can do X, Y, and Z would be in the office which is great to hear that. Mike, you talked a lot about uh, sort of that remote workforce, if you will, that remote environment, sort of taking these business applications and making them a, a first port in a mobile environment. Uh, fast forward two years, what does that look like? If I'm a new foreign service officer just coming into the State Department, what can I expect at that point? Yeah, I, I, I'd like to piggyback, I think, on what various noted, which is, you know, it, enabling the workforce to, to work from wherever they choose. And uh, so that, that's got to be one of the things that the IT 
IT organization takes to heart. Uh, and that, listen, that has profound effects beyond information technology. That has effects on how we're able to recruit and retain uh, the workforce. We have people that work in really high cost of living areas that, you know, would, that, that struggle and would like to move to lower cost of living. And we should be able to enable uh, that movement of the workforce. Uh, the workforce obviously has, you know, commitments at home with kids being out of school, but they, they might have life emergencies that come on, you know, two years from now. How, so how do we, how do we keep the workforce engaged uh, as they have these, these, these issues that are, that evolve throughout the course of their life? We have, we paid a lot of money and spent a lot of time to get really great talent into the organization. And, and we need to, we need to, from a, from an information technology perspective, provide a collaboration a collaborative IT environment that allows them to stay connected to the Department of State mission um, at, at, from from wherever they choose to operate. So that's got to be one of the driving forces. Uh, so so from 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 my perspective, what I see moving forward is a is a, is a much more open architecture that allows people to collaborate from the the device of their choice, from the location of their choice, but still maintain themselves being 100% ingrained uh, in the mission and focus and the functions of the department. And, and really connected to that ecosystem. And I would tell you that, you know, you, you're really getting into this uh, work-life balance issue. And all of a sudden now you can open up your aperture and expand across the entire AOR to, to look at uh, the different kind of a workforce and, and capability to allow the State Department to be everything it can be. I'm really pleased to hear this. Lou, how about at Department of Labor? Uh, if, uh, if you fast forward, uh, you all have a lot of activity going on over there right now. What's that look like uh, in the next couple of years? Uh, where do you think you are on that journey? Got everything done, all wrapped up, put a bow on it? What's, uh, what are you thinking? No, there's, there's a lot to do. I think for labor, it, it's the continue look forward to take advantage of our, our emerging technologies and put them to the best use to provide the data and the systems that the citizens need. Our CIO's uh, tenure began with the laborer about four years ago, and he came in one day shaking his head and said, my daughter doesn't want to come to, to take your kid to work day because we don't have wireless. And he challenged us to be uh, the best in federal service. And part of that's going to be using this emerging technology to take our data, our systems, and make them available to the end users, which is in, in the end, the American citizen. Uh, with this COVID uh, pandemic that's going on, two of our, our sites are, are getting huge hits, uh, benefits.gov and disaster.gov. These, these are the things that drive us every day. We don't go into work each day for the sake of doing technology, but using that technology to make that data and those systems available to who really needs them. Amen. And uh, I, I've heard so many times in this uh, discussion about the, uh, the citizen service and, uh, and uh, again, fulfilling that promise to the citizens. So I really do appreciate it. Thank all of you for taking the time today and uh, from your busy schedules to join us for this program. I'd also like to thank the sponsors for supporting us on the show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of Federal News Network. 
Thank you for listening to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.